0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. Uh, we're going to go back to uh, chapter 7 uh, of Zechariah, chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. We'll get through all of those. There's two parts in this. Uh, as we talked last week, the book of Zechariah, chapters 1 through 6, have those eight visions that came in 520 B.C. Uh, that ended with Joshua being crowned with the, the kingly crown. He's already has the, the turban of the high priest. Then the last symbolic act of chapter 6 was him receiving a, a royal type of crown, signifying the day that was going to come when the Messiah would be both the king and the priest. So there's definitely talking about a future day here. Then chapter 7 and 8, chapter 7 begins with a delegation in the ninth month of the year 518, so two years after the first six chapters. They come from Bethel, come down to Jerusalem, about 10-mile journey, to ask a question. We'll talk about that question again. The question is not directly answered in the sense of yes, no, uh, but there is given four words from God, or four sections are given. Chapter 7 includes the first two. We'll look at those tonight in detail, and then we'll continue with the next two in response to the question. Now, in response to the question we're going to be talking about, uh, I'll just use the word, righteous the people need to be righteous and that's just a general term for what is being said uh it's going to be directed in two ways uh one is going to be social like right now you need to step up your game and start acting correctly but yet in the big picture that's not going to cover it because you need i'll just write the word new you need a, a new heart you need the new covenant you need the, the, the better sacrifice and so they can they can address this socially that's why their forefathers were sent into captivity because of their behavior their, They they got into the fourth generation which is going to come up here tonight in this conversation of chapter seven just it's you'll just see it uh, and so they were sent away but there's nothing they could have done about this part right here they're going to need the savior they're going to need to be like jesus told nicodemus you must be born again you 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 can become socially you know correct and you can start doing all the things that that god requires man to do to live justly but you're never going to be able to cross the line and be worthy of his kingdom until you have his righteousness you can have a standard of righteousness amongst yourselves that god requires but you're never going to be able to cross the line and so we'll talk about that uh the temple will be completed in five fifteen or five sixteen. Depends on what you read. I know I've always said five sixteen, uh, and many it's a debate on was was it five sixteen or five fifteen? When was the temple completed? So I got both those numbers written there. Uh, but this book is going to be, or this chapter is going to be about them being righteous, uh, and they're going to ask a question. they got the lay, layout there on on page one of these dates of when they take place and you can add some things to that there's an outline there point c of the outline is chapter 7 and 8 uh the lord word of the lord is going to come in response to the delegation in chapter 7 verses 4 through 7 they're going to be rebuked by the lord chapter 7 verses 8 through 14 they're going to be a command to repent we'll see that tonight then it continues in chapter 8 verses 1 through 17 going to be a promised restoration And then chapter eight, verses eighteen through twenty-three, talking about the kingdom age, and that's that's where what they're going to be prepared for. Uh, And then verses chapters nine through fourteen will be very interesting. Uh, They almost, and I've gotten confused as I've taught through them before, because what where where where's this at? There's a prophecy. What where's this going to be taking place? Uh, But basically, they can be broken down. Chapters nine through eleven is Zacharias, what is called his a burden of Zachariah. It's the coming of the Messiah, but he's going to be rejected, which in its simple cases is the Christmas story and the Gospels. Then, chapters 12 through 14 is the second coming, or the coming of the Lord, where he's received and, and Israel responds. And that's in chapter 12, where a fountain is opened and they're going to be what we would say born again. A fountain is opened and they're cleansed. Uh, and, and so that is where. Uh, chapter 6 ends up, and I've got that written on the bottom of page 1, chapter 6, verse 15. After all the eight visions and after Joshua's crowned, uh, it says, And this shall come to pass, meaning the Messiah, the priest, and the king together, this shall come to pass, if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. And if you will obey, if they will obey, you meaning they have to socially get their act together at this time in history so it can continue, they can be Israel. So there are certain things they've got to do. But they're never going to be fully ready for the Messiah until, uh, I've got it written at the bottom of page 1, chapter 12, verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and uh, and, uh please for mercy so that when they look on me on the one whom they have pierced they will they will see the messiah apparently at the second coming and that's a whole nother if it's going to be a revelation it's going to be a spiritual understanding but it appears they see and understand and the whole nation it appears it takes place during the last seven years during the tribulation uh they turn to christ and the whole nation is saved and that is when they will really be able to obey that's what this is talking about right here they have to get to that point where they are born again. They have the nature of Christ. Now they can enter the kingdom because they're righteous in Christ. Up until that time, the kingdom really can't come because they they're, they're just got human works. They're just trying to be righteous socially. Now God's going to require both of them, uh, and that kind of leads us now to chapter 7 as we began last week. Uh, and as we go through this, um, I'm on page two now as we go through this we kind of review a little bit we did last week But they're going to come down and you can see chapter 7 verse 1 on your notes I'm reading in the english standard version right off the notes here uh, In the fourth year of king darius the word of the lord came to zachariah on the fourth day of the ninth month Which is keslev and again that's simply dating it uh, like many of the prophets do, of what where they're at historically, and the, the best date because every country, every culture had a different dating system, and so they're basing this date on the Persian date right here when, when the second year or the the uh, the fourth year of Darius, you know, so it'd be five eighteen, and so that's just they could have used the Chinese calendar, they could have used an Egyptian calendar, they dating it on the Persian calendar because they're occupied by the the, the, the the uh, Judah is occupied by the Persians and they're under their rulership. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. And chapter 7, verse 2, it says Now the people of Bethel had sent Shara Ezer and Regam Melech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord. They're going to go down to Jerusalem and ask the Lord a question. Now, asking the Lord a question would be they're going to go to the priest, but you, you very nicely, very uniquely. Uh, It's going to involve the prophets also. And then Haggai and Zechariah are operating at the same time. They're both received by the people and they're accepted by the priest. Obviously because Joshua is the high priest and Zechariah is addressing Joshua. So there's unity here and the people are responding. But now coming out of Bethel, there are two men, two leaders are coming with their people. There's There's a group traveling and they've got a question. Now, one of the things that needs to be considered here, forgetting everything we know, forgetting everything we know about the Gospels and the New Testament. We've got to read this correctly. We've got to go back, like we talked last week, talking about ice, put it, you know, historically, how are they seeing this? Now, we can, and, and we do, I, I will insert my understanding of the New Testament—I've already said, talked about the New Covenant, the, you know, being born again. What Jesus said to Nicodemus, you know, we are born again. We're waiting for the resurrection. But th- they'll forget all that. You know, they—they they are working off the prophets. They know the prophet Jeremiah said, and they'll refer. To, the Lord is going to refer to the prophets that came before, and the people hardened their hearts and rejected the prophets, and they went into destruction but every prophet we went through Hosea Amos Jeremiah always said but there will be a restoration god has a covenant with Abraham and he would not 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 the mosaic covenant the abrahamic covenant the mosaic covenant came after this is the book of galatians the mosaic covenant came after the abrahamic covenant we are sons of Abraham not sons of the law the abrahamic covenant was an unconditional covenant god is going to do these things through his nation Israel, including re- reach the other nations. That's gonna, that's that's a promise. That's God's unconditional covenant with Abraham. The Mosaic covenant was conditional. If you'll do these things, I will do these things. If you don't, I'll send this nation into dispersion. I'll, but I'll always bring them back because you're the children of Abraham, and I've got to fulfill the covenant of Abraham. Does that make sense? He 's got the Abrahamic covenant it 's going to happen. All nations will be blessed through Abraham. now he's got to when once abraham 's people came out of Egypt, there's a large number they 're their own nation they can 't just like you know follow them. so like the book of judges, each man did what was right in his own eyes, and he had chaos you 're going to need a, a governmental system you 're going to have to have laws you 're going to have to have a court system you 're going to have to have a religious system you 're going to have to have these things established. So God establishes the Mosaic covenant and says, I will do this for you if you'll follow these decrees. They ended up breaking those decrees and every one of the prophets came back and pointed to the law of Moses. You've got to come back to this. You've got to come back to this. And when they didn't, they went into captivity. But every one of those prophets said destruction was coming, but not not forever. God will bring back a remnant because... He has to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. That's where the eschatology is hanging in the balance today. Mosaic covenant, again, hear my words, or hear what I'm meaning, but the Mosaic covenant is over. The book of Hebrews makes that clear. The book of Galatians, you can't combine the two. Jesus made that clear in Mark. You can't take new wine and put it in old wineskins. You can't take new cloth and patch up a hole in an old garment. it's done you've got to you've got to put new wine in new wineskins so according to those parables according to what jesus taught through his apostles in the book of acts according to galatians according to the book of hebrews the old had its purpose but the new has replaced it even the old covenant was saying there's a new covenant coming it came and the book of hebrews ends with that verse calling it the eternal covenant which means, you could say it means from the beginning of time, before time began, it's always been there. Or, it it does mean this, eternal. There's not another one. The old covenant, within it says there's going to be a new covenant. The old covenant talks about, wait, there's a new covenant coming. Once the new covenant comes, it's identified as the eternal covenant, which means there's not another covenant. This is it. And so, with that understanding... We have a lot of things that we can see. But the people of 518, what, I would, what I'm referring to all that for, is the prophets of old warned of judgment, but always said there would be a remnant. Always said there would be a return. Always said there would be a restored temple. Ezekiel gives great detail of the rebuilt temple. And so the people from Bethel... There's two things, not two things, but they're they mourning, they're fasting because of the sins of the past. They're, they're showing, we're, we're, we're regretful, and there's, we, we have them listed here. All the events of these fasts, these four fasts that they were practicing were something that connected back to the destruction of the temple, back to what the prophet said, if you don't change, destruction's coming. And it came, and now they're—they're they're, they're the remnant that went into exile, the exiles, They're like, oh, we're really sorry. We were wrong. Our forefathers were wrong. Woe is us. Woe is us. And and that's why they're fasting. They're recognizing the problem of the past. We wished we hadn't done that. If we had a chance to do it again, we would do it different. And then that's exactly what Jesus is addressing his generation with. He says, you honor the prophets. You honor their tombs that your forefathers stoned to death. And you say, oh, We wouldn't do that. And he looked at him and says, but yet you're going to fill up the cup. Meaning they killed the prophets, but you're going to kill the one the prophets said was going to come. So you're exactly like your forefathers. Now part of that is, you know, because of the society, they declined, but part of that is because you're not born again. You're still functioning as a fallen creature. And so when the prophets come, You respond at a certain level, but ultimately you're going to fail every time. And so uh, they're going to do the same thing. The prophets came and their forefathers failed. And they're now fasting, saying, you know, that was wrong. We wish it hadn't happened. Uh, We repent. We want to be better. And then they see this happen. They see, just like the prophets said was going to happen, there's going to be a remnant return. God was going to go to the four winds and gather the people back to Jerusalem. Now, again, we know this is, we know it's not happening in 520. We know it's not happening here. He's bringing them back just to get it set up for the gospel, for the Roman destruction and another dispersion. Now, they don't see that. They just see the prophet saying there's going to be destruction. After 70 years, I'll bring you back. And they came back. So these guys from Bethel, they see the return. And then, in 5.18, there's been two years of the temple being built. The altar's been there. And by 5.16, within two years or three years, the temple's going to be complete. So they've actually, when they come, there's actually an altar, a temple system that's being constructed that they can go to. And so, they're going to ask this question. Should we keep fasting? Which, in one sense, means... It looks like... uh, We've come back. Looks like we're in what they would consider the kingdom age. This is it. We're going This we're we're coming back, and obviously we look at that and go, "Silly people! The kingdom age is going to be much greater than Zerubbabel's temple." But for them, you see, it would make sense. Just like we see Israel coming back in 1948, 1967. It's like, "Ooh, it must be the end times." And it's like, "Well, yeah, we're moving that way, and maybe it is." But when Israel returns. It's going to be a lot more glorious than, uh, uh, you know, 537, a lot more glorious than 1948. It's going to be something, but we're moving that way. So again, we're in the same position they are. We go, oh, we know all this, but yeah, there's things going to happen that people look back at us someday. Some people listen to my teaching someday and go, oh, he thought he knew so much. And gonna be like, now that we know this, it's like, you're going to move on and you're going to have more insight. Okay. So here we go. They're coming to ask a question. Well, here's the question. Uh, Chapter 7, verse 3. Saying to the priest of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I weep and abstain or fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? We've been remembering the failure of our forefathers, remembering the prophets were right. We are sorry. We're mourning. We're humbling ourselves before God saying in the fifth month, we remember this destruction, and the Lord was right. Now, should we keep on doing that? Seeing that we're all back in the land, and the temple's being constructed, it's like, are we, are we back now? Is, are we in the golden age? And uh, that goes back to chapter 6, the last verse. It's, you know, this will happen if you diligently obey the Lord. And so the idea there is when you can fully obey and you're ready for the kingdom, when you are kingdom-worthy, it will happen. Okay, well, let's get going. Well, you can try, but you're never going to be kingdom-worthy like Jesus told Nicodemus. You must be born again. There's, or the rich young ruler came and asked. He says, well, all these things, I, the, the, the commandments, I, I've done them since my youth. Jesus says, well, good, but then sell everything you've got and come follow me. It's kingdom time. He goes, I, don't know, I can't do that. <laughs> so he went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. It's like, well, yeah, because you're not born again. It's like, you're doing all these things, but all these rules, all even if, even if it's right, you know, all these social standards that we want to follow, treating people right and being kind, being merciful. It's going to be mentioned here. I'm doing all these. Am I ready? It's like, well, are you born again? you got the life of God. you got the righteousness of Christ. It's like, I think so. Well, then sell everything and let's come into the kingdom. It's like, Oh, I got a lot of connections here yet. Well, you're not you're not there yet. And no one is going to be there until Christ has to do the work, be born again. And so that's where these people are. Okay, so they ask this question. Should we uh, continue to do this as we have for these so many years? Now, they say so many years. In chapter 7, verse 6, God begins to answer. He says, and when you eat and drink, uh, let see, did I miss a something here? Oh, yeah, I missed the turn I turned the page. I didn't turn the right page. Page 3. There on page 3, there are four fasts. This is the fifth month. So they're mourning. They're referring to a fast that they instituted themselves that remembers the burning of the temple in 586. Now, the Lord is going to respond in chapter 7, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Zechariah, say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, they asked about the fifth month. Jesus, or the, the prophet or the Lord says to the prophet, and the seventh month. Well, you look up there. The seventh month was the last great crime that generation committed when they killed Gedaliah, the governor appointed by Nebuchadnezzar. They so then they remember. Oh yeah, we really messed up there where we killed the governor that Nebuchadnezzar set up. So they're mourning for that. So the Lord mentions that fast. They didn't mention it. The Lord in his answer. He says, when you fasted uh, in the fifth month and the seventh, and then he says, for these 70 years, which goes back to Jeremiah's prophecy. He said, all these many years, the fifth month, these many years. He says, when you fasted in the fifth and the seventh month, it was for 70 years that you've been fasting, because that's the prophecy. Uh, was it for me that you fasted? Were you fasting For me, in other words, uh, were you trying to do what I wanted? Now, here understand this. Uh, uh, was it for the Lord? Uh, were you fasting for me? Were you thinking, I think this is what our fathers got right, and that's why destruction came, so we're going to do this so we can do what the Lord wants? He says, Did you think? that's what this was all about this is what i wanted and so there's a couple things here one they're asking possibly is it time for the kingdom and they're also saying have we done are we now righteous have we we we've done this are we the people you want it looks like it's the kingdom age we've been getting ready we've been fasting are we righteous enough and the lord says wait were you doing that for me? Did you think fasting was going to get you here? Uh, so here it goes. Verse, chap, page 4, chapter 7, verse 6. And when you eat and when you drink, now he's talking about feasting. Do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her? and the south and the lower lands were inhabited. He says, is this not the same problem we had when the prophets, when Jeremiah was speaking to your forefathers and all this disaster came? Was this not the issue that you did not understand? So they're like, that's going to throw them off. They say, okay, we've been fasting for these many years. Should we keep on doing? He says, "Uh, I don't think you've learned anything, because that's not even the right question see he does in a sense answers the question by giving them another question which in a sense is saying you're asking the wrong question first of all this cannot be the kingdom because you're not the people of the kingdom yet you haven't had the new birth we can we can say and righteous do you think fasting saying our fathers were wrong we wouldn't have done that we want to do what's right that you've taken care of it He's going to say, right here, I'll read this right here, were not these the words the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous? Jeremiah, we're just saying, when Jeremiah started prophesying, this is why it was hard for the people to listen to Jeremiah. It says it right here. The Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited, the streets and the shops were busy. The children were running in around the playing in the streets. And prosperous. Money. Business was taking place. And Jeremiah says, You're in trouble, you're in trouble. They're like, We don't look like we're in trouble. Everything is fine. Think of a prophet coming to America in the 70s and the eighties and the nineties and saying, Oh, you're making mistakes, you're gonna miss this whole thing, you're becoming blind. It's like God's not pleased with you. It's like, I don't know. Uh, churches are growing. Prosperity's happening. Uh, we've got more legislation coming down from the conservatives, and we're making this legal, and we're making this illegal. It's like, and, and what you're doing, you're just, you're just sinking. And they were. But they were inhabited and prosperous. And then it goes on and says, and her cities around her, that means around the suburbs, or we could even go, that's further than that, they're going out into the coastlands, and the south and the lowlands were inhabited. The south would be uh, the Negev. There was shepherds down in the Negev. There's farming taking place, and the coastlands uh, that would be over there along the Mediterranean coast, the Plain of Sharon. There's you know travel was good. The caravans were running. Places were occupied. There was prosperity and peace. And the people, the former prophets, came and warned the people, and he says right here. Were not these the words the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her, and the south and the lowlands were inhabited? In other words, the land was full of peace. It looked like the kingdom age. And yet the Lord came and says, you are in so much trouble. And they looked, and they go, and then, then the spiral continued as they went from the second into the third, and then finally the fourth generation, and then all the disasters started taking place. And so, what he says is this. They said, should we keep on fasting like we have for so many years? And he says, he says now listen, when you fast in the fifth and seventh month for those 70 years, were you doing it for me? He says, the prophets warned of this very thing. Even while the land was prosperous, they thought everything was going to be fine. They came and warned them. And you know what? No one could hear. And that's going to be the point right here. Will they be able to hear he said i 'm going to tell you something, but this is the same thing your fathers were told, and everything fell apart because no one could perceive it, no one could understand it now uh, later on I'll go back to uh just to refer to this there's four on page three there's four fast i 've got listed there those four fasts are going to be mentioned by the Lord. Later in chapter eight, because there actually had four fasts that they had instituted during the exile. Not God had not instituted them; they had instituted them in memory of. And he started at the bottom uh, of that list on the tenth month, uh, beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's siege. That's the first fast. Then go to the top. Then they mourned the capturing of Jerusalem. Then they mourned the burning of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. Those are the dates those things happened on. Uh, it was captured, or the siege began. Jerusalem was captured. The city and the temple were burnt. And then later on, the governor, that, after everything was destroyed, Nebuchadnezzar set up a governor and says, you oversee this. And then the people that had rebelled and caused all the problems murdered the governor that Nebuchadnezzar, after he burnt the city, captured the city, dis, uh, burnt the city, took the captives those people that were left that should have been like oh my gosh we're going to listen now nebuchadnezzar sets up a governor and they him. they they, they assassinate him so those are the four fasts, and they themselves look back and says this was a mistake this was a mistake and they're fasting for all these years and now god says uh were you doing that for me because i didn't want fast i wanted and he's gonna i'll just write this uh social justice now again whoa what a woke word or woke term it's like social justice that's right you know jewish lives matter or whatever your your poster says okay it's like he's even going when he identifies this in the moment he's going to identify these things he's going to say he's going to use to describe justice he's going to use the lord is going to use this identifying term true justice be, meaning this this idea here, something consistent, consistent that is like universally just that is established at a higher system we 're going to get into this in just a moment, but you can have justice if we all get together and we make our own laws and we negotiate you 've got the this political party and this political party, and they negotiate and they come up with a plan, and all they 've done is just water down justice until everybody agrees, and what comes out is like yeah. I guess that's the law, but all you got to do is have the legislation change the law and now it's legal. Oh, you know, not that this is a, a big deal, but like marijuana, it's illegal. Wait, 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 no. Nope. Now you can buy it as gummy bears. It's like, wait, wait, wait. Oh, no. You can smoke it in your own home. What? Oh, no, now we can sell it. Now we can sell it on a limited basis. So it's not illegal. Nope. So Justice moves, again, that's just an example. I'm making no point on marijuana. It's not like, you know, the, you know it's just that it, it was illegal, but we changed, this. it was a sliding scale of legal justice. And not saying that's wrong or right. That's just the way we, we've got to function, you know, as a society. But he is going to call it true justice, which means it's held to some kind of an absolute standard. It's going to be God's standard. So, nonetheless... When we talk about social justice in the woke sense, abortion's a great example. It's like, uh, abortion, it's it's now illegal. Now it's legal. It's like, what just? That's not just. They should have rights. Now they've changed it. Now it's not right because they don't have rights. It's like, what is this? What's true justice? And everybody's arguing for social justice, and half of the population's arguing for the right to kill babies because that's the just thing to do. It, and it's like, if you don't support abortion, where's your social justice? I don't know. I guess I, I guess we better support abortion. We want to support women's rights. That's right. You're a social warrior. Yes. Okay. Then what's these people over here? Well, they don't have. You're violating the rights of the baby. It's like, well, you got to stop abortion. And again, I would be against abortion. I'm ju- you know, I'm just saying. It's like social justice. They're, they're, whatever we call social justice, uh, it, it's like sometimes it's like that's not. I don't even agree with that. I guess I'm. I guess I'm against social justice. I I guess you want to be unfair to women and and unfair to people that want to smoke marijuana. It's like, yeah, I guess I guess I'm a very hateful person. I guess I hate women and I hate drug abuse or uh, what? I, I don't know. You get all confused. And so this is going to be talking about something a standard that is hard for the people to wrap their minds around. And they're thinking they're coming down saying We've been just. We've been fasting. And God says, was that for me? Because that's not even close to what I wanted. I'm looking for, and he's, he's looking for social justice. And that is, we, we'll get into the fourth generation. We'll look at that. Okay, here we go. Now, page four. That 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 was chapter seven, verse seven. was kind of the end of the first word, saying, you're having the same problems your forefathers were having, Uh and so you really haven't done anything. It's a rebuke. It's a rebuke. He's, they say, should we stop fasting or sh- can we stop fasting? And the Lord basically rebukes, says you haven't done anything. You've learned nothing. Well, we've been fasting all these years. You've been fasting for exactly 70 years. You've been fasting for these feasts. And it has nothing to do with what I was trying to communicate. Now you're back. Let's not get started on the wrong foot. So here we go. Chapter 7, verse 8. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, now remember, this is the same same day, same set of prophecies in 518. Uh, He's going to have four basic messages. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, this is the second one. Thus says the Lord of hosts, again, a a very big word, Lord of hosts or title, uh, the Lord of the armies, the, the spiritual powers of the heavens. He is over all of them and they are all over darius and all these other rulers that are over the people and the lord is so far above you that you've got to look through cyrus and darius look through all the worldly leaders then you've got to look through all the leadership of the heavenlies that you can't even see and the lord is up on top of that governing all of that and it's trickling down to your little living room so now this is what the lord at the top the tippy top says to you render here's the three things true judgments there's that true justice Show kindness and mercy to one another. So, true justice, kindness, and mercy to one another. Uh, And this true justice, we'll we'll talk about it here, uh, is more than just the judicial systems, the court systems. Because he's assigning this true judgment or this true justice to everybody. Meaning in every situation, you've got to call this right. You've got to treat people, here's the word, the English words, and some of them, they're much richer in the Hebrew, and we'll talk some of this, uh, kindness and mercy, everybody to everybody at all times. That is what he's asking for. And you come and ask, oh, we, oh, should we stop fasting? Uh, hello, I've been talking about true justice, kindness and mercy to every i don't even i don't care if you fast on now zachariah doesn't say, is it doesn't even come across as pro or con fasting that never even is yeah you should keep fasting but also do this he, he doesn't even address it. he goes right past that and goes here's what i'm looking for if you're really going to come down from bethel travel 10 miles bring your delegation down and bother the priests and the prophets say now what about fasting now you're here what about justice kindness and mercy have you thought about that well, we didn't come to talk about that. We were worrying about the wondering about the fast. Exactly. You're so far behind. Uh, Thus says the Lord of hosts: render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. This is the, in a sense, do, the positive. Uh, we'll come back to this in just a minute. Turn the page to chapter seven, verse ten. Chapter seven, verse ten. This is seven nine is the positive, the do. Chapter seven, verse ten. Then he says, the opposites, the do not, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So, do not oppress and plan evil in your hearts. In other words, you should be treating others with justice, kindness, and mercy, and not oppressing and not planning evil." Which gives and this he says this is what your fathers had in trouble. I wanted this, and what I got was oppression and evil. And this right here, oppression and evil, and the lack of these things, are the character trait of the fourth generation. We will look at that those verses here in just a moment. So we're going to go back to chapter seven, verse nine, on page four, very quickly, looking at these right here. Point two: the message of the previous prophets. That had been rejected was summarized in these three things. Render true judgments or execute true justice. Depends on how you translate it. It means the same. B. show kindness, which is the word from mercy, from the word hasid. Uh, I don't want to get too far ahead here. Uh, And then c show mercy to one another which is the word compassion which comes from the word rehum which means tenderness uh, which is etymology etymology is connected to the word womb so like a mother cares for which is really a really a, a devastating word to use this is not talking about our culture this is talking to them in 518 but mercy is the word In here, it's from the word rahim. I'm getting. I got to come back. I I don't want to do this. Rahim, which is connected, which is connected to the word womb, and this mercy is referring to a mother's response to her child. Now, meaning this is how you should treat others. You see how twisted we are. We're in a culture where the mother wants the right and considers herself oppressed if she can't kill the baby it's like okay so we need you to treat others with the same compassion a mother would treat her child wait 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 let's think of another illustration it's like we, we we're even dist- that's how far that's how insane our culture is getting that the very the very fabric the words that mean compassion we it's like w- compassion would be she has the right. To, if you have compassion for people, if you have compassion on, for women, she should be able to kill the child. Right. And so this is true justice. She needs to have the right. Yes, let's fight for freedom. Let's fight for the right. Let's fight for justice so she can kill her child. And then you read this verse, true justice and mercy, just like a mother would treat a child. It's like, oh my gosh. I mean, we're, we're, we've separated ourselves we've ripped ourselves away from reality and and we're falling it's like we are falling in nothingness and and it's like you are to a point to a point here where we're never going to be able to reach anybody it's like you can't there's nothing to grab a hold of there's nothing to anchor to you can talk about it as you're falling but it's like there's nothing to there's no rock there's no solid foundation this this is going to be referred to as as hardness of heart i mean your heart it's like it's like we talked about in Mark 4 last night, the seed falling on the pavement, the, the ground, the the, 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 pad, the the hard rock soil. It's like it, the saint just steals it. There's, there's no, you can't penetrate this. It's, it's gone. And that is a fourth generation condition. And that's what happened to these people in 586. And then you look at our culture, and we're, we're there. And, and we're falling. It's just a matter of time before the judgment is total. But the judgment's going to come from within ourselves. Well, we'll see this. Let's go on. Let's go back to page four, the notes. Render true judgments or execute true justice. It it would mean justice for all people. Exodus 18, 19 to 23, Moses was commanded to render true decisions as the leader, as the judge, true decisions, and by doing so, Moses would show them the way to live. God told Moses, you've got to do justice. Because the people will be watching, and they will follow you. They will see what true justice looks like, and you cannot fail. And so the pressure was on Moses to show them the way to live. Amos 5.24 says, But let justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. And that's what he was asking for. But understand, that's impossible fully until we get into the kingdom age. Uh, Jeremiah 22, verse 3 this is what the Lord says, do what is just and right. So there's your prophet talking to the gener his generation. Do what is just and right, which is exactly what this verse is talking about, just and right, and they couldn't do it. Like you can you see, let's see. We're at a point now where you can preach and preach and proclaim, proclaim, and give example after example, but you're talking to a culture that has lost contact with reality. And they're just spiraling out of control. And any time they would try to take your words, your your truth, your meaning, and apply it, they just, they can't. There's there's they've. I'm trying to think of an illustration. I just see something falling, and it's trying to make a course adjustment, but there's nothing to push off on. Like if you're if you can you push you're falling this way, you can push off this and head back this way, but you're just pushing in space. There's just no way of adjusting. It'd be like uh, falling in outer space. There's just nothing, no no traction. And you can hear, or try to hear, but nothing's going it, to, it's hopeless. I mean, yeah, isn't that great news? Hopeless. Uh, well, they were, I mean, Jeremiah's generation was. Uh, in this verse, justice is preceded by true, the word, which would indicate justice that is consistent with God's justice. It is not man's Postmodern manipulating the law, twisted form of justice, like we, like I described. We got postmodern, no absolutes, but this is now the law of the land. So this now is just. Well, no, that's you. You have no absolutes. You've made up your own reality. Now you've based a law on your created false reality. And now, if we don't act that way, we're not just. But you're not even in reality. So eventually, it's going to come down that if you're walking in God's justice, God's righteousness if they've established a law in postmodern philosophy that is disconnected from reality, and if you violate that law, you're a criminal, you're not just, you're going to be punished for being right, for being true, which, I mean, that doesn't surprise anybody. I mean, that's like, but what I'm saying is, it's no longer a potential. It's no longer, someday, it could be, it's happening And it's going to result in persecution. We do not know what persecution. If you talk about the the top nations that have persecution, uh, America is not even on the list. So I mean, we don't even know what persecution means. We know it's like to be have a little flag put on our Facebook post or something, or be canceled on Twitter or something. Uh, But that itself is a false hype. You know, it's not even real. It's it's cyber posting it's not even a real interaction per se which is also scary okay um they're asking the lord is asking them to have the kind of justice that he himself would support uh and then render execute or administer is addressed to every person not just those with judicial authority this refers to universal social harmony respect and judgment on a daily basis among each other and this is again how hard would that be if you're going to say i'm going to do what is right this type of justice in society would require everyone be functioning the same way. So you're going to do what is right and just in a culture that thinks what you're doing is criminal and oppressive, and you're not going to get it, it, it's it's going to destroy it's going to destroy itself. The next one, uh, mercy, is the word goodness or kindness. You can see it in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word is hasid, and you've heard this before, hasid. Uh, this is translated love, which completely throws people off because God loves Israel. They think, they think, you know, hearts, you know, God loves, has an emotional connection. That is not what the word Hasid means. It is not, and when Hasid is translated love, it is not, you know, th- you know, some rock band singing about love. It is a covenant relationship the closest thing we would have would be marriage or some kind of friendship or business partners with contracts. Meaning it may not even involve any kind of emotion as much as it is faithful commitment. It is, well, right here it's translated kindness to one another. I write the Hebrew Hasid is the Old Testament word for grace. It's a huge word. Uh, One of the commentators, as they are talking about it, it says no English word can capture that. See, look at Hasid, love, covenant relationships, grace. I mean, those are like, those are three different dictionary entrances, and it's all in Hasid. It means you're going to be responding to someone based on a covenant you're going to be doing. You're not judging them. You're doing what's right for them. You've got a covenant with them. Uh, you're you're connected to them, but it's reciprocal. Like a a marriage relationship has to have two people, just like Hasid. That's why when God has Hasid for Israel, uh, when they violate it, he's going to be faithful to the covenant, but it's going to involve him sending them away into judgment, and then with the promise that this isn't over, I'm coming back to get you, and we're going to try it again. And he's going to keep join, doing that until finally, okay, okay, Jesus is going to come, pay for the sins, you're going to receive him. you're going to be born again in Christ and come back. It's like, ah, there, my faithful wife, the faithful partner in the relationship. He's a seed, but eventually, eventually the church, the believers are going to be able to respond faithfully back. And again, even today we have a relationship, but we're still dealing with the sin nature and we, we, we're st- you know we have this relationship, but we can still. Well, John talks about it. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just. Hasid, why is he faithful and just? Because he's got a contract. You're in a relationship If you sin and you can, I, I was wrong. I sinned. I, I violated the covenant. Okay. Well, he, he's not going to say. Well, th- you, that's too many times. I, no more. It's like no. He he's he's going to continue and eventually will be in the glorified state and we'll be able to have a respond appropriately the the bride of christ anyway that's what that word means showing kindness to one another and then the last one that compassion comes from the word rahim we talk about it which means uh like a mother treats a child which is based etymology the etymology of the word comes from the word womb and so justice which is absolute uh kindness or we'd say uh oh which is the words i'm thinking of the hebrew words And again sometimes you look at your translation uh render true judgment show kindness and mercy sometimes kindness and mercy are switched in the order of your translation because both those words uh hasid and rahim can be translated like a mother is merciful to a child but the mother is also kind to the child and so a Hasid would mean you're merciful to the covenant partner, but you're also kind to the co- So it's like they're two different words, but the meanings overlap. So sometimes the translations happen. So uh, nonetheless, justice, kindness, and mercy. And this is what God is looking for in the previous generations. And I'm going to read this again. Uh, Thus says the Lord of hosts, chapter 7, verse 9, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. And then now the negative. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of, your de- none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So no oppression and no planning evil in your hearts. This would be the opposite of doing these things right here. Uh, uh, I'm trying to say where we want to go with this. Uh, yeah, let's, go to, let's just go to Proverbs chapter 30, get, get that out of the way. Proverbs 30. And obviously, I've got a whole book on this, and we've mentioned it for 30 years. Proverbs 30, and we... uh, Chapter 30, beginning in verse 11, 12, 13, and 14. uh, In the NIV, it says, chapter 30, verse 11... There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Uh, that would be what we'd say the first generation. Uh, some The King James, for example, the phrase, there are those, uh, it, it just simply says, uh, there is a generation. And that in the Hebrew is the word door, which means generation, but it means a, a rotation, a, a cycle. There is a rotation, there is a rotation that... Uh, curses their fathers and do not bless their mothers. They don't do. They 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 break the traditions. They've been handed down something and they break it. And I've I've wrote about this. Uh, though, then it says, though verse twelve, those who are pure in their own eyes. That's the same thing. A generation or another door. Not not door like swinging door, but D O R. A cycle, a rotation, a generation. So after the first rotation, they produce a rotation that. ...are pure in their own eyes and yet are not cleansed of their filth. The fathers and mothers had it figured out and they hand it down to their children... ...but they curse them and they do not have... ...they don't follow it, they don't follow that way. They then become the generation that are pure in their own eyes... ...but yet are not cleansed of their filth. There's that separation from reality. We found a new religion. We're going to walk away from, for example, in, in a Christian culture... Uh, you'd walk away from christ and you'd say we've got a new philosophy uh i'm okay you're okay which is right out of the second generation i'm okay you're okay stop judging each other we all have problems we'll accept each other as we are uh, that's that sounds great that sounds like social justice that sounds like caring kindness mercy yeah but you, you've created a new philosophy it's not real there's something wrong with man you need the truth i'm okay you're okay and that says right here but yet are not cleansed of their filth you have not really you separated from the answer came up with your own answer but you really don't have an answer that is really not going to help and that produces the next generation who don't really have an answer but they apply the answer that really doesn't work and it's going to produce a generation uh the third generation which is uh verse 13 those who are the door, the, the generation, there is a generation, whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are disdainful. In other words, it's the generation of pride. They're looking at themselves. They cannot relate to anything outside because nothing makes sense. Everything's broken. So they just come back within themselves. And everything's about, we call it, the, the media called it the me generation. 1960 to 2000 was the me generation. I mean, it's in the me. They called it when it was happening in the 60s and 70s. This is the me generation. Everything focuses around them. That generation is now old in our culture. That generation is, uh, had, they, they were born and raised the 60s to 2000. They're now 60, 70, 80 years old and you can see them still trying to control power. You know, Name a few leaders. We can go back to number one and number three, who just left our presence. Uh, that's that generation, still pride, holding on to the power. But they have given way to another door, another generation. That's 2000 to 2040. Those whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives to devour the poor from the earth and the needy from among mankind they will now devour people they will use people like food and when you go to the prophets and right right right, when you read that on the surface they devour the poor from the earth and the needy from among mankind they're not kind to the homeless okay yeah that yeah okay unless they got a (laughs) vote then they're kind to them until they get the vote but uh if you read the prophets, the poor in the prophets, they were not poor. They were the middle class that the elite, those that were pride and those who had jaws, they began to take out of society what they wanted and drive the middle class into poverty. Because we read like Hosea and Amos, back There are people there, uh, they, the widows lose their houses. Uh, the children lose their inheritance these are not homeless people these are not people that are you know out on the streets that are destitute these are people with homes that lost them inheritance that were taken from them that's a justice system well it's like like ahab going to nabal's vineyard and jezebel killing nabal so ahab can have the vineyard and that that's just a sample of that's the way the whole society is and to say to say that there will be the elite the powerful that are going to drive the middle class into poverty. Uh, that's not a conspiracy theory. If it's happening in our culture or not, I don't know. I, I would say yes. But that is the way of the past. That is what the prophets condemned the people for because the elite became more and more powerful and there's, they wanted the things that people had so they drove them into poverty took they devoured them well right here the fourth generation the final and fourth generation that always meets the wrath of god whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives to devour the poor from the earth and the needy from among mankind and at that point now we can overlay that with the five cycles of judgment in leviticus the first cycle is met with judgment. The second cycle is met with judgment. The third cycle faces judgment. The fourth cycle faces judgment. But then at the end, it faces the fifth cycle of judgment, which is national overthrow, and they are no more. There is not a fifth, gen- There's not a fifth door. There's not a fifth rotation. Once you get to that fourth door, it's over. God will intervene and destroy you. If you're a pagan nation, if you're Israel, If you're the United States of America, you will be eliminated from history. The thing that separates Israel from all the other Gentile nations, say Edom. Edom has no covenant. Edom was a a culture, a generation. Once they violated, went into the fourth generation, they're removed from history. And someone else moved in, they're done. Israel can be removed from history, but they've got the Abrahamic covenant. They've always got to be brought back because of Hasid. They will be brought back. And they'll always fail, and they'll always be brought back until finally they look on the one they pierced, and a fountain is open, and they're cleansed of their sin. And in the words of uh, uh, the New Testament, putting, being read into Zechariah chapter 12, they're born again. And now they are uh, the nation that God won. Okay, so when we start talking about oppression, the widow, the father, the sojourner, do not devise evil against one another. I got point two. That's basic fourth-generation sins and corruptions. Uh, these are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, and the needy from among mankind. And again, if, if you would want to apply this today, if you would want to apply this today, the elite will look at every way of driving the middle class into poverty, So they will, and this is exactly the way Revelation plays out. Those first, when the seals are broken, you are going to have to, to get enough to survive. You will have to work all day for your food and a place to sleep, and work all day for your food and a place to sleep, and that is your existence if they need you. If you don't, world population is a crucial issue. We need to get rid of some of these people. We need to eliminate some of the people, especially the poor and the needy. We need the useful to work for us to make us more pr- prosperous. And you can just see the elite having more and more. This explains why, and then you see it, and it doesn't make sense. Why, when they have a global warming meeting, they all fly in their jets and burn up more fuel in one trip than I will in my entire lifetime with my truck, and they're going there to save the planet. But when they come out, the only one that has the rules is me. And my gas goes up, my oppression gets greater. Now, I have nothing to complain about because I'm in America. But you understand, once this lose, we lose control of this, the elite are going to become, they're going to keep it for themselves. okay. I got to come back to this next week. Go to Revelation. And I'll show you I'll show you where this ends. If it if it's if it's if it includes America in the next few years or if America falls and someone else moves in or a new kind of government takes over and this happens in 300 years or 3000 years, this is how it ends. Of Revelation chapter 4 and we're talking about again when we talk about the four, I got to come back to this next week. I'm so sorry. I was going to finish chapter seven tonight. I'll read this and we'll quit. Uh, when, uh, when the seals are broken, chapter four, five, six, chapter six. When the seals are broken, some people consider that the beginning of the wrath of God. You've got the seals, the tr- trumpets, and the bowls. The seals are very bad. They're very ugly. They're very destructive. I do not think they're the wrath of God. I think their God, Jesus, has been, or someone has been, holding them back. It says they'll hold back until they're taken out of the way. The Antichrist, the man of losses, will not come until the one who holds him back is taken out of the way. Being taken out of the way may tie into these seals being broken open. But nonetheless, this is what is written in the scroll. And it, it, it's going to happen. It's just not being allowed to happen. History is cycling through, and every time it gets to the place for that first seal to happen, it doesn't get broken, and we cycle through again. The Antichrist is always, always on the verge of appearing. Maybe it's Nimrod. No, it's not. Maybe it's, you know, uh, uh, you know, Sennacherib. No, maybe it's Hitler. No, maybe it's, and it's just like, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's obama no maybe it's bill gates no maybe it's galen weemers no it's like whatever i don't know but it's like but someday the seal's gonna be broken and that man is gonna appear if you understand what i'm saying and then these these seals begin to take place here we go uh chapter six verse one i watched the lamb he opened the first seal I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. That man has been trying to come since the Garden of Eden. Saint has been wanting him to come, and, and it, the, he, he is born, he lives, he dies, and it never cycles through. That's my, my theory of that. There, it is a unique man, but he could have happened any time in history. And it's not going to happen until someone's taken out of the way. And here, this seal is broken and he comes. Verse 3, then the lamb opened the second seal. I heard a second living creature. Then uh, another horse came, a fiery red one. This rider was given power to take peace from the earth, to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. In other words, the Antichrist is going to come out promising peace. It's going to be world unity, but it's not going to be world unity. You can't unite mankind in its sinful nature. There's going to be some rebellion. There's someone's going to fight back. Well, how do we stop this they, they want to vote. They want to have their own property. They want their own rights. It's like, we can't have that. We've got world peace. It's got to be done this way. Kill them all. And so now nations start slaying each other, trying to establish this power. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Now here's what I'm talking about right here. This is the verse I'm looking for. Someone's causing this bloodshed across the earth. They're eliminating life. They're, they're reducing the population. They're trying to oppress the middle class into poverty. That's, that, that's, I'm adding that to the... I'm, I'm interpreting this. That may not be right. But watch this. At this point, a writer was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a day's wage... And three quarts of barley for a day's wage. In other words, you work all day, we'll give you a loaf of bread. There's your food. That's your life. After this war, we have conquered. Your life is work. Oh, uh, and do not damage the oil or the wine. So this 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 is not a famine. This is not a famine. There's no food. There's no food. No, this is rationing. They're weighing it out. See, it's not like they couldn't find anything and they're going from, you know, cave to cave, forest to forest. They're going through the dump. It's like, no, someone is weighing out here. You worked all day. Here's your part. What about the oil and wine? Uh, No, don't open those up. Where's the oil and wine go? There's oil and wine. It says do not damage. It doesn't say and no oil or wine could be found. No, we know where it's at. It's locked up. Who's getting the oil and wine right here? The elite. This is not talking about America. This is talking about eschatology, the beginning of the tribulation when the Antichrist comes. He's going to come out in the name of peace, unite everybody. Not everyone wants to unite with the Antichrist. There's going to be war. Slaughter them. Now that we've got them conquered, now here's your wages. You work for bread. What about the oil and wine? We'll keep that. And now the elite have oil and wine. It's not universal famine. It's universal elite domination. And that is why Then as you read through this, that goes on for about three and a half years. And then finally, Jesus is going to appear, and the wrath of God is going to come. And then he's going to pour out the trumpets and the bowls on the final fourth generation. This is the epitome of the fourth generation, uh, those first four seals. Okay, I've got to quit, and we'll somehow clean this up next week. uh, Because these people right here in 520, 518 are saying, should we be fasting? And God is saying to the prophet, the issue is social justice. I do not want the oppression. I do not want you planning evil. You've got to do this, and it's going to be, go two ways. One, you are going to have to do this beginning in 518 in your societies. This is this, the best you can. As a fallen creature, you have to do this. But you won't be able to do it at the level I need for the kingdom age. You're going to have to wait to be born again, and that's chapter 12, to actually be the righteousness of Christ where you could actually respond to God in the right way. So this is, this is both. Temporal 518, do this. But we know that's not going to be good enough for the kingdom age. You're going to have to be born again and do it at the level of what we'd say being born again, if that makes sense. And again, a lot of that I'm reading into that from the Old Testament looking back into it. But they're basically thinking, are we ready for the kingdom? Can you do this? You need to do this in society, but no, you're not ready for the kingdom because... You're never going to be able to do this at the level that Jesus Christ is going to require for the kingdom. I'll pray, and then we're done. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for your word. We do ask that we'd handle it correctly. I ask that the things I said would be tempered by the Spirit of God, that they'd be useful, that we may grow, that we may be productive and fruitful at this time, but also be able to share the light and be able to recognize truth in this crooked generation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your patience and your time.